today's Bible reading will be coming from Colossians chapter 1 and we'll be reading from verse 15 through to 23. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Well, it truly is... A joy to be here today, and I trust that you're uh, en enjoying our time together and will continue to do so. Um, and now, as we hear, I've heard God's word, and we are considerate, let's, let's ask God to be with us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, that's why we're here. And so as we open up your word, we ask now that we'll see his supremacy and seek to live by it. Amen. Now, if I was to ask you, what is the defining moment of your life, what would it be? Can you think of what it is? What that defining moment is of your life. Sometimes one's defining moment goes down in history. Isaac Newton gets hit on the head by an apple and the theory of gravity is born and physics is never the same again. In Australia's kind of recent past, in the year 2000, there was that little thing called the Olympics and there was a lady whose defining moment was to run faster than anyone else on a day around a track 400 metres. You know who I'm talking about? Who was it? Kathy Freeman. I wrote Newman down here, I'm glad you guys got it right, I don't know why I wrote Newman down here. Kathy Freeman. <laughs> uh, Kathy Freeman. We kind of still remember it. For a, for a moment, for a while, it was a defining moment in our history as we celebrated uh, this Indigenous person's great success, conquering all the difficulties and, and heartaches, and the nation was rejoicing in that moment, the tension of, will she do it? And she did. The world stage, uh, a few decades ago, when Martin Luther King stepped up to a podium at the Lincoln Memorial, his defining moment defined a generation about freedom and African-American uh, issues and, and black and white and all the issues that came with it, the I have a dream speech goes down in history as a defining moment. But usually defining moments uh, don't go down in history, but they still shape our life, don't they? Maybe the moment you hold a newborn in your arms and you realise, now I've got to look after this person. 
I was one of the four boys and I, my first daughter was a girl and I'm thinking, I have no idea. That defined me. <laughs> Sometimes it's the near-death experience that so often sets people on a moment where they change their life. If I get through this, I will be a better person. I won't treat people as horrendously as I have before. I won't lie and steal and get through life that way. I will, well, I'm going to enjoy life now. Why have I been spending all my time in the office, getting home at nine o'clock every night when I have a family who I love and I'm about to die? I'm now going to spend time with my family and not work as hard. Defining moments. That moment when you know this is what you love. As a 10-year-old boy, I was bursting, like bursting with excitement when Dad told me he got tickets to the SCG in the members' stand to watch Australia versus the West Indies, back when they were good. And, and it was amazing. And I remember where I was sitting. I could go to the uh, SCG and sit in those seats, I reckon. I remember it so clearly. And remembering how Australia were none for 200 and how we just beat um, the West Indies. It was such a great time. I remember thinking... I'm going to play for Australia. Why are you laughing? Um, <laughs> I had to change my defining moment to being, I'm just going to watch cricket obsessively. Because uh, I was never going to do that. You see, whatever your defining moments are, and we all have them, when you see with clarity the supremacy of Jesus, this moment of defining your life I want to suggest, is just around the corner. And that's what we see in this great passage in Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Jesus being supreme. Now you can keep that passage open as we go through. Uh, hopefully the verses will come up on the screen behind me. But what does it mean for Jesus to be supreme? See, clearly it's got nothing to do with pizza. I don't even think that il illustration worked, actually, because just because it's got lots of toppings, I don't think it's the best pizza. I like one or two toppings on mine, and I think they're more supreme. So it's just a pointless illustration. See, what makes him supreme? He is on top, and no one can rival him. That's what makes him supreme. Look at verse 15, that grand statement to kick off this section. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. See, the picture is when you see Jesus, you see God. He makes God accessible because He is God. And a bit further down in verse 19, that becomes really clear again. For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. You see, what we see in this great uh, this great statement is that Jesus is, is uh, God and He is the one who is over all creation. But what's extraordinary about this is that it says that He's the firstborn. Now, on a, just a surface reading, you might think, well, doesn't that mean that He was made or He was kind of came into existence, saying He's firstborn? But actually what firstborn is saying here is that, well, it's, it's not that. We actually get clarity in that because in verse 17 it says he is before all things. You see, actually what it means to be firstborn isn't about um, where you've come from, it's about what you get. To be the firstborn is to be the one who receives the inheritance. 
That is how the Bible uses it. And that's how uh, uh, Colossians is using it here. Jesus is the one who inherits all things. God the Father has given him everything. There is no fight over ownership. Like in the Sam's household, every single day I have to tell my kids, they're my golf clubs, that's my Lego, it's my iPad. Well, no, actually, they fight about their own stuff. And I'm sure if, you, if you've had if you've got kids or when you were a kid or even if you're an old person and you've got siblings and you're still fighting over your stuff, we always want our stuff and it's ours, right? And we don't want others to use it and we fight over it. There's no battle. There's one who gives his inheritance and Jesus has it all. There's no one to rival that. There is no need to go to court to figure out whose land it is. It is his. There is no rival to his supremacy. There is nothing that does not rightly belong to him. Now, I wonder that if we're going to get greater clarity on this, the way we need to think about it is to actually realise that we'll never fully grasp how supreme Jesus is. I think that's part of the point. But what this passage does is help us get more and more clarity. And I think the way we see it is that there's three big movements, three big movements that kind of narrow in and narrow in and narrow in. We see that Jesus is supreme over all. And as we narrow in a bit more, we see he's supreme over the church, over his people. And then it narrows in even further and gets personal as we see that he is supreme over each individual person. And that's what I want us to do for a few moments uh, today is look at these three things and as we do that uh, today whether you're, you've come today and uh, you love Jesus or you're just wondering or inquiring I wonder whether it's good for us all to just consider each of these and whether Jesus is someone who we should say is supreme if we have a look first of all at all things after verse 15 we see that he's over all creation as 15 says look at verse 16 for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. It becomes pretty obvious that in, um, in, in verse 16 and 17, four times all things is said. It's like, okay, I've got the point. The creation does not exist in any way, any way without him. How is this the case? Well, he has no rivals, and we see that from different angles. Uh, the, se the second part of verse 16 is, uh, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. That he is supreme over and has no, no rivals, not just on this rock we call earth, but in the realms that we don't really have any understanding of way beyond our understanding, we have one who has no rivals. But it's not just about location, it's about those in power that cannot rival him. The, second, the, the next bit of verse 16, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, no one can rival him. Now, it might just be me, but I wonder if there's anyone else here who kind of likes looking into the US um, candidatial elections and races. Does anyone find it interesting or is it just me? 
So, yeah, no, it's kind of interesting. It's, it's probably kind of interesting to me because I kind of uh, watch it through the eyes of The Late Show and Stephen Colbert and him poking fun at it most of the time, but with moments of poignancy. But it astounds me that they're always seem to be fighting for power. Whether you're in office, you, you're, you're trying to make sure that no one kicks you out, uh, no one backstabs you, and then when it's time to think about being re-elected, you've got to have another long period of finding out who's going to be in your party is going to actually go up for um, election, and then you've actually got to have the election. This constant struggle for power, and it's quite comical, and this year is even more comical and bizarre with the candidates that, that America has. See, this this struggle, those powers, rulers, or authority, they, they are there for a while, but Jesus is behind them all. None of them are there to his surprise or to his disappointment as if he wasn't the one who's behind all things. But it even gets more impressive. We're laboring this verse because of how extraordinary it is. It goes on to say, well, in verse 16, the next bit, the fourth bit, all things have been created through him. Now, I don't know whether there's ever a moment for you where you've come to that, that idea or point, or whether it's for you now. But it says, all things have been created through him, Jesus. Jesus is creator. He is God who is creator. Now, I, for a very long time, thought Jesus died for me and he'd given me life and he rose from the dead as Easter's around the corner and that's what we remember you know, with such clarity. But there was a moment when I was a young adult where this just kind of, it was one of those blow your mind moments where Jesus went from being someone who has given me life, but he's always been there and that actually, he made it all. That's how big and supreme he is. That gives him the right to be Lord of all. But then, the most spectacular thing about it all is the end of verse 16. It's created through him and for him. For him. The purpose, the goal of everything that is made, including you and I, quite obviously then, is for him. Our purpose is to move towards him. Our life is for Him. And it's extraordinary because, well, in verse 17, He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. See, I've got my watch here that uh, Jen, my wife, gave me a couple of um, Christmases ago. Um, and, and it's a great watch, I really like it, it's excellent. But uh, it's a hill figure. He, he doesn't need to do anything with it. The watch was made... And then Mr. Hilfiger doesn't need to then come along every day and hold my hand and then fix up the parts and keep it going. If he did, that would be a really bodgy watch and be very annoying and uncomfortable if I needed someone constantly maintaining my watch on my arm as I was holding it. That would be impractical. The watch is made, so it's made and then left to its own devices. And it should work. Contrast that idea with... And in him all things hold together. Did anyone breathe just then? Yes? I'm hoping so, otherwise this is going to get really bad. Um, you're breathing, you're laughing. Have you considered that breath 
that breath, that snigger, those kids probably whinging out there. Right now, they're laughing, they're getting up to mischief. He's made that happen. He's sustaining it. He's behind it. It can't happen without him. Every breath you make is held together by Jesus. What a spectacular picture of Jesus. That's why we really wanted to start there today as we start Trinity Grove, is because we wanted to see with clarity how brilliant he is. Does anyone get close to rivaling this? Well, nowhere near it. And it means that he is Lord, whether actually whether we like it or not. We can choose to ignore these claims, or we can choose to get to know him. And that's what we want to do at Trinity Grove. That's why we want to be here. It's that people uh, can get to know him, and we can get to know him more and more wherever you're at. And we want to do that from all sorts of different ways, to every Sunday opening up the Word um, and encouraging one another, to later in the year we'll have um, community groups, our weekly um, Bible study groups together. And as we're starting, we want to just get into reading about Jesus' life. And so we're starting off with one-to-one Bible reading. And if that interests you, you'd love to do that. That's what we're doing as a church as we start off. And it's going to be great uh, to do. And we'll talk about that more next week as well. Because... We see this picture of Jesus and we think, we've got to get to know him. But then as we narrow in a bit further, we get to our second point. He is supreme over his church. Look at verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. See, his intent is that he has a people and that he's the head of that people. It's beautiful imagery that the Bible paints in lots of different places about Jesus um, and his people being one body. A point that the Christian church is so beautifully linked together and woven that one body works together. And Jesus is part of that one body. What we have is the one who is Lord of all that we've just seen have such an intimate and personal relationship with his church. How extraordinary. But this can only happen if verse 18 happens. He's the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. You see, Jesus dies and rises so we can rise with him. He goes first so that we can go and live with him. As if creation wasn't enough. His supremacy, the highlight, the focal point of his supremacy is Easter, where he conquers death for us. That's the spectacular picture that we see in Colossians. Goes on to say, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. It's a brilliant picture. That this supremacy of his death for us, his resurrection for us, reconciles us in verse 20. Through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That his death wasn't just something that he did because it was a nice example or model for us. It goes on to say it makes peace through his blood shed on the cross. The church 
us here, this new church that's starting, comes to be with Jesus as the head because he's gone through the death and conquered it and rose again. And we can be reconciled with him in that. That is his supremacy over the church that he loves. But then, as if that's not enough, all of us get a moment to think personally. Because the writer of Colossians, Paul, wants to remind the Colossians that this is real for them. And that the one who is supreme has changed them personally. Verse 21. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. See, Jesus, Jesus is saying, well, actually, you know what? I am supreme over all and I will see you from two vantage points as the supreme one. We've just read the first vantage point, our state before God without coming to him, we're enemies. We reject him. He neither wants to see you as an enemy, though. He wants to look at you from another vantage point. And so there's these little two words, but now. They're great words. You wouldn't think two little words like that would be so important. But Jesus, who is supreme over all, doesn't want to see you from the vantage point of being his enemy. But now he wants to see you from the next bit. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death. And he wants to do that to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. What we saw with the church reconciling himself uh, to all things, he's saying, for you, I want that to be personal for you. I want that to be for you in all things. Now, I mentioned earlier, he's Lord whether you like it or not. Why wouldn't you like it? If that's what the supreme one who's in control of all things is offering you. So there we have it. The most spectacular picture of the supremacy I think we could ever see in Jesus. And as we wrap up today, what do we make of it? What do you make of it? I want to suggest two things. Jesus as the supreme one requires a moment. A defining moment. I want to take us back to where we started. It requires more than just a moment of your time. It requires you to see this is the defining moment of your life where everything changes. Stop. Pause. And reflect on the fact that Jesus is Lord. Which vantage point do you want him to see you from? He desperately wants to see you from the point of one who has gone through the death and resurrection so you can be reconciled to him. And I would never assume that today, uh, necessarily all of us are on board with that. But maybe as you've seen Colossians today, you see with great clarity, he should be my Lord. It requires us to see that I've just got to trust in what he's done for me. To acknowledge that I don't do anything, he's done it all for me. And that's what we do. 
We trust in Him and not ourselves. And this is why we're here. We want to help people wrestle with God, understand who Jesus is, to take your questions and take them further. And we want you to do it in any way that's helpful for you. If that's uh, talking uh, casually in small groups, coming on Sundays and wrestling on Sundays, we want to help people consider God if that's what they want. Because we think Jesus is Lord. See, we think that all of life exists for God's glory. That's why we're here. We exist for God's glory by what He's done for us, His grace for us. And we exist uh, because of what He's done for us. And so when we think about life, what we think about is wanting to be shaped by Jesus. We want to be shaped by Jesus in everything we do. And so the last point, the very last point of today is if, Jesus is the supreme one. It requires... <laughs> That's the punchline, right? This is it. Last point, bang. All right? This is it. It requires a lifetime of walking with Him. You see, we're not here just to say Jesus exists, He died for you, now believe in Him, job done, game over, come back, hear that again, don't worry about the rest of your week, come back again, Jesus died for you, come back again. That is what we talk about. But we talk about that because He is Lord and wants a lifetime of you living with Him, walking with Him. We want to live a life of following Jesus. And we do it together. That's why He has this whole thing about being supreme over his church as one body because you can't decide to want to follow Jesus as Lord and say, but I'm going to bar every single other person who wants to do it because that's not how he made you for. We want to follow Jesus as Lord. I think this is so important that next week as we finish before our Easter series, I'm thinking about his supremacy. We're going to think about how you walk with one who is supreme like that. And we'll see that from Colossians. A little bit later in Colossians chapter 2, it talks about how you need to um, live in Jesus, actually walk with Him. And we're going to try and wrestle with what that means if you want to come back next week. What do I leave you with today? I simply want to say what I started with, with the kids. Jesus is supreme. Do you want him to be supreme over your life? I reckon we should. Why don't I lead us in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that uh, we can come together today. Uh, uh, many new faces and people we uh, maybe haven't even met, but we come because we want to hear about you. And as we've seen the supremacy of Jesus, Father, we ask that we'll seek to live for him, that we'll have that defining moment in our life where we realize we need to trust in what he's done for us and turn to him. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.